Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, Brian Buffini here. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, I have a very special treat for you guys. When it comes to mindset, there was no one more influential in my life than the late, great Jim Rohn. And when it comes to motivation, well, there was nobody in the same league as Zig Ziglar. The last time these two great friends and giants of the self-development world were on stage together was at our company's Mastermind Summit in Florida. You're going to get a chance to hear myself, Zig, and Jim live on stage. I hope you enjoy. Let's take a listen. My passion has always been to pass on to people those things that have benefited me, those things that have influenced me. If I learn that a budget benefits my life, I use it, I see it, help me succeed, then I'm going to take that content, take that information, and teach it to other people to have them succeed. Does that make sense? Well, every time I come across something that's brilliant or that has really helped me, I want to bring it to somebody else. There have been two people who have helped shape the five accelerants in my life. Now, there's been a profound group of people. There's my mother, there's my father, there's my brothers, there's my sister Louise. But the magic of the society we live in today is that you can be mentored by people you don't even meet. And I have been mentored for the past 10 years by two men. And these two men have helped me shape my philosophy and my attitude. And those things have made my circles go. And my life has accelerated. And I'm a better man and I'm a better husband and a better businessman and a better everything because I've worked on those five accelerants. And these two men in a world that is drowning in information and starving for wisdom, these are two wise men. And my goal a long time ago was to get these two guys together and to bring them into a place to come and inspire and encourage and motivate other people. And I hope you take some copious notes. I hope you take this opportunity. They started out as mentors over a CD and a tape machine. They've become friends. It is a great honor. It's a great privilege. And I want to give a thunderous ovation to my two heroes, Mr. Jim Rohn and Mr. Zig Ziglar, right now. Let's go. Lads. Wow, Zig. I'm paying for it. You, oh, you are. Amazing. Here we go. Thank you. Well, they're happy to see you. You're renting them out, though. I, I, know. Am, I am. I <laughs> am. Well, what a treat to have you guys here, and we're looking forward to really being a special time here. How many of you have listened to cassettes or CDs by Jim or Zig? Could I see your hands? Wow, right. everybody. Oh. There's we no buyers in the room. <laughs> Philosophy, attitude, hmm. and that has always been how you guys have been. You've been America's 
foremost business philosopher has been your handle for a long time and helped develop my philosophy. And then the master motivator himself. Great accelerants to the five circles. I'd like your take first, Jim, and then you, Zig. I'd like to go through, first of all, I'd like to talk about philosophy. If you were never to see these folks again, what would be the greatest insight you could give them about develop their own personal philosophy? Well, the major part of our future is going to be shaped by our personal philosophy. And philosophy is a big subject that embraces everything to begin with. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's the meaning of life? All of that. And then there's economic philosophy. There's social philosophy. There's political philosophy. I've been lecturing in uh, Russia. The communists taught capital belongs to the state, not the people. That was their economic and political philosophy. We've been teaching all these years what? Capital belongs to the people, not the state. What a difference in philosophy. Mm. So philosophy shapes the country. Philosophy shapes the community. Philosophy shapes the church. Philosophy shapes our own personal lives. So philosophy is what we've learned and what we've heard and what we've seen, what we've experienced, and the decisions we've made from what we've learned. That shapes our philosophy, whether it's economic or social or personal or whether it's spiritual. And that's the beginning of working on a new life and uh, a new direction is learning to alter your philosophy. Mm. One of the first ones that helped me was my economic philosophy. I met this man when I was 25 years old, and he said, show me your current economic plan. And, of course, I didn't have one. And I said, well, I'm probably spending a little more than I'm making. And he said, who sold you on that? And I thought, wow, I've picked it up somewhere along the way. And he said, couldn't we start making some changes in your economic philosophy to start that would change now the future of your life? And I said, I suppose we could, and that's what we did. So don't spend more than you make. Because I found back then it was easy to make $5,000 a month and go broke. And someone back then said, how could you make $5,000 a month and go broke? And I said, spend 6000 <laughs> So all of that started to shape my life. And then I found out your income is determined by your philosophy, not by the economy. Mm. And once I learned that, I thought, well, gosh, then I don't have to work on the economy. All yeah. I have to do is work on my personal philosophy. That started it all for me. Awesome. Mr. Zig, philosophy. Developing your own personal <laughs> philosophy, your mindset. What would be your best take on that? From a personal perspective, I've uh, believed, and incidentally, I've always thought that philosophy was simply your love of wisdom, and that's what we were just hearing is considerable wisdom. Uh, my philosophy, as you know, has been for years that you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. And that works in your personal life, your family life, your business life. It works in your social life. It works everywhere. I've seen it in uh, every area of life, from the medical profession to the coaching profession to the family profession to the ministry and what have you. It's just uh, a different way of expressing the golden rule. Mm. It rules out the idea that you've got to abuse people, step on them, you've got to put them in down in order for you to go up. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if your philosophy also includes the understanding that as leaders, there are some people who develop followers, but the real leaders also develop other leaders mm. because they know that one person or one small group of people 
I can't carry the whole load. It takes a lot of help. And so mine has always been. And, and here's one of the, I was talking to somebody about this very thing today. All of my life, I have been in individualized work. I was on the boxing team. I was on the track team, ran the mile. I was on the tennis team. I played golf. I was a salesman, and now I'm a speaker. But my heart, really, interestingly enough, is bringing the different factors together in a leadership role. And I love to talk about team play and demonstrate team play. And our visit to your facility was really a marvelous experience because I saw a lot of encouragers there. I'd almost felt like I'd been to church because everybody was, was so loving and kind and generous. And well, now you've met our clients, you realize why we pray so much. <laughs> so that basically is where I'm coming from. I get such a joy out of doing what I do. And periodically I have somebody say to me, well, I heard you had retired. And I said, you just weren't listening. I said, I was refired. Uh, I said, I'm not going to ease up, let up, or shut up until I'm taken up. As a matter of fact, I, I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, there's plenty more where that came from. There are two ways to have the tallest building in town. One is to tear all the other buildings down. Mm. That's one philosophy. Right trying to diminish others so you'll be taller or bigger or better. And the other is to just keep working on your building. They get there late, you get there early. They leave early, you stay late. That's a good illustration of philosophy. And if you keep working on your building, you'll soon have the tallest building in town. Mm-hmm. Now, attitude is something you've spent a, a lifetime helping people with. Right. So what would be your greatest piece that you could give folks on developing a positive attitude? Well, I talked with the kids a little bit about uh, this a few minutes ago. You know, our kids are our only hope for the future, but we need to understand we're their only hope for their present and their future. Mm. And I was sharing with them that everybody needs a wall of gratitude. I have my own wall. 26 men and women are on that wall. Each one was placed in my life at strategic points in my life. Each one filled a significant role. These 26 people I have on my wall, the six who've had the biggest impact on my life were all women. I have often wondered what my life would have been like had I been sexist. I'm certain my mama would have loved me, but, you know, what about those other five? And then the second part of the wall that I emphasize is that uh, for whatever reason, God put minorities in my life in a huge way. Uh, three American Indians, for example, had a huge role in my life. One in my sales career, one in my speaking career, one in my spiritual life. I'm a Christian today because on July 4th, 1972, an elderly black lady spent the weekend in our home. I'd been to church about 1,500 times, been baptized when I was 12, was headed straight for hell. This, uh, <laughs> going to church doesn't make you a Christian, as, uh, as you will know. This dear lady did not physically sit on me, but almost. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, you're talking about a one-track mind. Uh, she talked about Jesus when the first thing she said when she walked in the door for three days, that's all she talked about. She walked out the door, but the job was done. Uh, I made that commitment, and it revolutionized every facet of my life. Mm -hmm. 
My closest friend for 38 years is a Jewish gentleman from Winnipeg, Canada, the first man who believed I had a career as a speaker outside of my own uh, family. Uh, my daughter-in-law is from Campeche, Mexico. The mother of one of my beautiful grandchildren is, uh, we've discovered, had we known grandchildren were going to be so much fun, we'd have certainly been nicer to their parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, uh, I'm the national spokesperson for a large Japanese company with a Korean president. One of our most valuable people is an immigrant from India. He uh, does all of our diversity training, virtually all of our international training, helps us write programs. I mean, just invaluable. Our two top salespeople, one is a young white woman and the other was a black man, and I begin to look at all of these things and all of these people that have been so helpful to me as minorities. And then I read in my Bible, you know, in Acts 17, 26, we're all one blood. And the DNA now shows that Adam and Eve really did start it all. So I encourage people, if you want to get along with people, understand that there's no such thing as a superior sex or a superior race. Uh, you know. And, uh, And, you know, when you understand that, and it's nearly 46% of the people who voluntarily leave their jobs do so because they do not feel respected and or appreciated mm. and don't think for one instant they do not know it. And so we have to go about replacing very valuable people unless we do understand that. Beautiful. You open the door for conversation when you understand there's no such thing as that superior sex or superior race, and that lays the foundation. Now you've got something to build on. Beautiful stuff. Speaking of the women in your life, women control 80% of the wealth in this country and have access to the other 20%. <laughs> yes, you had lunch with Beverly today, I take it. <laughs> and I told my audience in uh, Italy just the other day, there are three ways to control a woman. You know, the Italians are interested in that. Three ways to control a woman, and nobody's been able to figure out what those three ways are. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I hope we never do. I don't no, know. they never I will. don't understand them, and I love them. And, you know, women understand each other, and uh, they don't get along as good. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along here. <laughs> Yeah, Zig and I have never said to each other, let's go to the powder room together. No. <laughs> Only women do that. It's getting deep. Okay. These folks just uh, wrote some goals. Now, a lot of these folks have been writing goals for a long time. Some folks in here wrote goals for the very first time today. Very simple. Very straightforward. I want to do this. I want to do this. Midterm, short-term, long-term. And maybe here's the best-case scenario. Meeting a bunch of folks who've traveled all across the country and have come here, paid money to be here, you know, got up first thing this morning. These folks have been consistently the most hungry and striving folks that I've ever had a chance to meet. And now they've got a set of goals. What would be the, the greatest thing you could share with them to go out and pursue those goals and to go reach those goals? Part of the key is to just keep making a longer, 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 longer list. And the key is not to worry about how you're going to pay for it. Mm. 
uh, or whether or not it's going to come your way early or late. Just say, here's what would make my life really worthwhile. Here are the tangible things, the intangible things, and just start making those lists like you did today. That's important. Here's one more. When you achieve something fairly significant, celebrate. Mm -hmm. Just underline the word celebrate. Mm -hmm. Because if you celebrate achievements, that inspires you to make an even longer list of goals. <laughs> I told the kids today, there's a lot of goals I still haven't reached. I've never been to Egypt. One of my goals that I set many, many years ago was to go to Yellowstone. I happened to be raised in Idaho. Close by. And Yellowstone Park, right, <laughs> is in Idaho, is in part of Yellowstone. And I'd never seen Old Faithful. About four or five weeks ago, I had a chance to go to Yellowstone and see Old Faithful. Guess what I did? I found that old list, Zig, and I checked it off. Yellowstone. Fantastic. That's great. You've been all over Now the I'm inspired, yes. I've been to Nova Sibir, Siberia, but I'd never been to Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to Columbia tonight. Yeah. So, teach a little capitalism. Amazing. Zig. Goals. Well, one of the things I strive for and uh, really concentrate on and uh, done some research on this particular thing is for balance because mm -hmm. what I've found that if standard of living is your major objective, quality of life almost never improves. But if that quality of life is your number one objective, standard of living automatically or generally improves. That doesn't mean I don't think you should have those other goals, but I think they need to be brought uh, in balance. Mm. I believe that enables the family to uh, not only uh, survive, but to thrive in the process. Uh, one of the great discoveries I made a few years ago was that men and women are different. Now, this is what we've been saying for years and years and years and years, and then acting as if there were no difference. Mm. Uh, Jim kind of halfway uh, hinted at it a moment ago. I've been out to dinner hundreds of times, and I've yet to have a man stand up and say, Bill, why don't you and Paul and Charlie come go to the restroom with me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> if I ever do, I ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> now, a bunch of women go out to dinner together. One of them stands up, doesn't say a word. Just nods her head, turns around, and collects a crowd. Uh, I mean, you know. <laughs> when, uh, when I fully understood that a woman's intelligence is different from that of a man's, and that no man has ever been as smart as his, he and his wife combined, mm. no woman has ever been as smart as the two of them combined, but when uh, you put their intelligence together as a team sharing, it's almost like uh, Lucy uh, said in one of the Peanuts column, you know, Linus was sitting there watching TV, and Lucy walked by and said, change the channel. And uh, he said, give me five reasons why I should change the channel. And she said, one, two, three, <laughs> four, five. Now, she said, individually, they ain't much. But when they get together... <laughs> They are an awesome force. You know? And when that husband and wife talk with a woman's insights and different intelligence, you know, when you explain something to her and she says, I don't agree with that, and you say, why? And she says, just because. That is a perfectly legitimate answer for a woman. It'd be crazy for a man to say that. I know it. 
She knows it's not right, but she doesn't quite know how to articulate it at the moment. But that's the reason the conversation can go on. And when you get together, that's when that team comes in. And this is not just my opinion. The uh, Harvard Business Class, 1949, only had men in it. About 30 years later, they did a 30-minute CNN special on them. They wrote a book about them because almost 49% of the men had reached at least the position of vice president in major corporations. And when asked why, they said, well, number one, we had wives that were bright and understood us, encouraged us, and uh, who really had brought something different to the platform. That was number one. Number two, they did everything with integrity. Number three, they were risk takers, but not gamblers. But you put those things together, and uh, that says a whole lot. Well, I know you practice what you preach. I called you. You were at your vacation home out in, uh, uh, where is that, Lubbock? It's, it's, no, it's Holly Lake, okay. uh, East Texas. East yeah. Texas. And yeah. I, I call him up. He doesn't know I'm calling. He's out there. And, I ring the phone, and here comes the answer. Mrs. Ziegler's happy husband. <laughs> well, you got to be realistic in that. Uh, you know. But I say, this is Gene Ziegler's happy yeah, that's husband. Right. Yeah. That's you know, good. Zig mentioned, you know, family first. Uh, with all the ambitions in the world, if you lose your family and don't have a good balanced family life, uh, that doesn't make it work. And probably one of the best examples of ambition to conquer the world, and this is part of his vision, is this man standing right here. Back in the beginning, he said, I will not sacrifice being with my family, raising my family, being close to my family for all the money in the world. I do it with them, or I don't do it at all. Brian Buffini. He did what I did. He just overmarried, and that was the... Uh, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I have a nosebleed I married so often. Besides, I have no respect for a man that can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> right. It ain't hard. My wife hits a volleyball 90 miles an hour, so when she tells me to take out the trash, I say, yes, ma'am, and go do. So that kind of figures it out. I have one more question for you. A lady brought up a question here today, and we hear it a lot, and that is, you know, I'm making progress, because what we have here is a room full of people who are achieving and all at different levels, but we have a, this is a room full of achievers, a special group, and they've achieved. And some of them have made great strides and come back a ways. Some of them have made two steps up, one step back. Lady today said, I feel like I've made three steps up and four steps back. And it seems like all growth has like this rubber band to it. You stretch out, but it seems to bring you back in and stretch out. And I've always argued that the band gets looser over time. What would you say about, you know, overcoming those setbacks? You mean, you've done well, you get ahead of it, but you make a mistake, you experience a failure, or just stuff doesn't go right, or you miss a few days. You start journaling, and next thing you know, you miss a month. What would you say about overcoming setbacks? Well, ask any wealthy person, how did you get here? And they probably say, would you like to hear the whole story? You know, I was a millionaire, multimillionaire at age 32, and I was broke at age 34. And it was only couple of million dollars, but it, it was all I had. <laughs> Some uh, foolish mistakes I made. That early money's hard to keep, Zig. Yeah. Here's when you know a young man's going to soon be parted with all of his money. When he walks into the store and he says when he's shopping, how many colors does it come in? <laughs> yeah. 
with overspending and all the rest of it and some foolish mistakes I made, a company wanted to borrow a quarter of a million dollars. The bank said, well, if Mr. Rohn will sign personally, we will loan the company the money. And I knew they could pay it back, so I signed. And uh, they paid it all back. Then I happened to leave. And I discovered that the company now, which was in trouble, went back to the bank and borrowed this quarter of a million again. And I said, I hope they don't call me. I signed the first note. They paid it back because I won't sign this time. So they never called, never heard. But a little while later, I get a letter from the bank saying, Dear Mr. Rohn, since the company cannot perform, and since we have here your personal guarantee, would you please send us your check for a quarter of a million dollars? And I said, hey, hold it. There's a mistake here. I signed the first note, but they never called me to sign the second one. But what I learned just a little while later from my lawyer was what I originally signed was a continuing guarantee. So now I know what the word continuing means. <laughs> In fact, I know how much it is per letter, right? <laughs> so, hey, we've all got those kind of stories, right? The key is to try your best not to be foolish. Now, there's a Bible story that says there were two nice people. This was not a story about morality. There were two nice people, however... And that's what life's all about, Zig. However, one built his house on the rock and the other built his house on the sand. Meaning, nice people can make foolish mistakes and have it all swept away. But the key is, when you do make a mistake, when you do fall down, is to get back up and do it again. Because then you'll have a story to tell. <laughs> uh, what if you picked up a book and the first chapter said, everything's fine? Uh, <laughs> chapter 2 said everything's going fine <laughs> Chapter 3 says everything's just fine Would you finish the book? Yeah. And the answer is no That's not life That's not what it's all about It's the full adventure You know Getting rich and going broke And doing wise things And then foolish things And recovering and coming back And you've got to do that now The rest of your life The key is to just get better at it and have a shorter time of regret, right? <laughs> getting back on and get going. Anyway. So getting back on the horse is just not an option. No. You know, what are some of the things you would recommend people to do? They're in that state of mind. Maybe they're in the slide mode back. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a big mistake. Maybe it's a little one. They're a little off track. The drift, you call it. And that's, that's such a great principle that I've immersed in my life. What would you encourage people to do? They're on track. They're doing well. And then they, they miss a couple of days. And they miss a few more days. And they've got the drift. How do you avoid the drift? You know, you've got to listen to the tapes one more time, read the books one more time, attend another class like this one more time. Let me give you some of the best advice ever. If you consistently attend events like this, all that you can qualify for, all that you can have the time and go to consistently over a period of a year, some of those events will be life-changing. Mm. Some of them will be standard. Some of them will be sort of ordinary. But sure enough, if you go to things like this consistently, continually, maybe not this grand, other events, mm -hmm. small events, training classes, inspirational classes. If you attend something like this continually, some will change your life. And you'll look back and say, I was never the same after that day. Mm. That's why I'm sure the instructions to the early Christians were, don't neglect the assembly, huh, Zig? Yeah. Every time we call a meeting, try to be there. Some of them will be sort of ordinary and some of them will be sort of standard. 
but some of them you'll never be the same again. And you can't pick right. those. That's right. right. So you got to go to all of them. <laughs> Zig, same story, overcoming the setbacks. Let me start. I'm going to tell you two fast stories. Number one, I would encourage them to remember the story of Bonnie Jean Sinclair who is a one-legged skier. She was in competition for the gold medal in, you know, these Paralympics. The other girl, only one left for, between the two for the championship, the gold medal, fell, and Bonnie Jean said to her friends, I'm not going to fall, so I'll win. But she did fall. The other girl won. Her friends tried to console her by saying, well, Bonnie Jean, she's just a faster skier than you are. And Bonnie Jean shook her head vigorously and said, oh, absolutely not. She's not a faster skier than I am. She just got up faster. <laughs> See, the lesson is you don't drown by falling in water. You only drown if you stay there. Mm. You don't fail. Yeah, absolutely. You don't fail by falling down. You only fail if you stay down. And then you understand that failure is an event. It is not a person that yesterday really did end last night. And then the second part of it is, you know, earthquakes and hurricanes get all the publicity, but termites do more damage than both of them put together. <laughs> and, you know, termites takes us little bitty bites. You can't even see them with the naked eye, but it takes so many bites, and there's so many of them. And all of that to simply say that you can make incredible progress in consistent, minute steps. Classic example, my executive assistant has been with me for 26 years. She's head and shoulders better than any I've ever had. She finished the 10th grade. Several years ago, we evaluated our key personnel, and she is certainly key. She checked out at slightly above the master's degree level. Now, she didn't get there in one big step, but on a daily basis, going to her home, she listens in Automobile University. Coming to work the next morning, she listens in Automobile University. She's a prolific reader. She talks to people who knows things that she does not know. She is always the constant student, the personification of dedication and loyalty and this kind of thing. And the bottom line is, today, as you know, we do a lot of training. And we send out some proposals, some of which are very large. But the person who has the final word before we send it out is Laurie Majors. She checks the grammar. She checks the understandability. She checks the appearance. She checks to make certain that everything is crystal clear. And she got there by taking those small steps, going to different seminars. And to hitchhike on what Jim said, you know, Stanford University did a study and said that 95% of the people, and I learned this at Automobile University, incidentally, 95% of the people who buy an idea or a concept are unable to follow through because they do not have the resources, the books, the tapes, the seminars, the mentor. Now, everybody doesn't have time to, you know, be a real bookworm, but everybody's got plenty of time to be a tapeworm. <laughs> uh, because we do uh, take those trips, and we really do. And uh, I'm just such an avid supporter and believer in what you can learn in automobile. One last little bit. Stephen Joe Payne is a Native American from Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Got his high school diploma at age 22. He came to one of our seminars, our Born to Win one. Bought the idea of Automobile University. Fifteen years later, he is fluent in eight foreign languages. 
translates for his company in both French and Spanish. I don't need to tell you, he doesn't suffer a lot of stress for fear of loss of a job. He's more valuable to himself, his family, his company, and all. And he says that uh, Automobile University, the automobile and the tapes turned out to be the best investment by far he had ever made in his life. The automobile is necessary to get you there. But if you make it as a learning institution, then it's an incredibly good investment. Beautiful stuff. One of the best ways to uh, improve yourself and your life and to, to be inspired to get up and get going is to help somebody else do the same. Mm. Find somebody that's sad and see if you can't sympathize. I told the kids earlier today. Find somebody that needs a helping hand. Find somebody that needs a word of wisdom. Find somebody that needs, you know, an arm around the shoulder. Find somebody that needs for you to say, come on, you can do it. You've done it before. I know you can do it again. By helping other people, where you find yourself at the moment sort of disappears. One of the best ways to inspire yourself. Wow, that was great stuff. Very emotional listening to those two men who've had such a great impact on my life. Uh, I remember being on stage with those two guys like it was yesterday. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you share it with your friends. Tell them to subscribe for free on iTunes to The Brian Buffini Show. And I'll leave you with an Irish blessing today. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, Jim and Zig, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. <laughs>